This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, looks, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted. Intercepted. The next time Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, the game. Ducks won. Ducks playing good, I think. I, I don't know. That's an argument we'll talk about today. Scoop Duck and High Five. My name's Matt Bagley. Justin Hopkins is in the room with me. We're going to talk Duck football and also look at uh, a couple other good stories. Duck Hoops as well, making some noise. Justin, how you doing, man? Uh Pretty good. Wednesday, you know, Wednesdays always catch up on me because it's late start for some of my kids, early release for some of my kids. So I get it, I catch it on both sides, and then we try and squeeze in this podcast. So right. It's uh, it's always tricky, but you know, we're here, we're ready to go. We got football for a few more weeks at least. Yep, like you said, you got basketball, men and women playing some good ball there, and uh, apparently there's like a playoff lurking or something like that. Oh dear lord. Yeah. yeah so I. I said this before the committee came out with clearly no work done and they just slapped something together. Right. Um, I said I didn't need the Ducks to win sexy. I thought that that game was good enough, good defense. They held their opponent under 10 points again. Yeah. They did what they had to do again. I would have the Ducks as the fourth best team in the country. Yeah, I mean uh – you know what? What's the dip, what? What's the difference? What else did Oregon? Need? Did they need to score forty points or more? To I mean, like what? You know, what did you need? The game was never in doubt from start to finish. Mm-hmm. And whatever you thought of the offense, maybe being somewhat vanilla, which I, I think it was a little bit, and they still put up thirty-four points. Um, you, you know, at the end of the day, most of the voters or rankers or whatever you want to call them, uh, most of those guys were in bed, asleep, woke up the next morning, looked at the looked at their phone, you know, ESPN, whatever, looked at the box score, saw 34-6, to 6, saw Oregon got out to a 14-0 lead right away. Right. And that was it. They're like, oh, okay, Oregon won. Cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? It wasn't close. It wasn't overtime. It wasn't, you know, I mean, that's le- legitimately probably what everyone other than Rob Mullins did. Yeah. And he can't even talk about him, so it doesn't, doesn't matter supposedly it's it's pathetic to me Wait. of of you have the one guy who's going to go to bat for the pac 12 right and he can't even talk well it's it's stupid to me the guy you he was voted and put in charge so regardless of what his school does shouldn't change his standing in that room right. his peers all decided hey this guy's good enough to lead us right now you know let's put him in this position of power if you will um, so, you know, at this point, is he just a, a, a talking puppet? I mean, is that all he is for the room? Uh, and I'm not picking on Rob Mullins, of course. Please, I mean, please make sure you guys understand that. Right. I just, it's just he doesn't have power in this yeah, situation. I mean, you're There's sa- nothing he can do. You're saying that, you know, the guy that you have put in charge only because of his association with the school, you know, is not fit to talk about his own school. I mean, I, I just think it's backwards. Right. I mean, you know. And who's going to know the Pac-12 better than an AD in that conference? Yeah, nobody else in there watches any Pac-12 games, I'm sure. They all watch the SEC and the, yeah. and the Big Ten. I, I doubt they can get Pac-12 Network either. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm kidding, huh? 
<laughs> yeah, you're, you're right on there. And and you, your point, like where they slapped the rankings together, I thought where they put Minnesota was shameful. I mean, like seriously? Right. I mean, come on. Did you guys even do anything? Or was this like, oh, shit, we got to put these rankings out in 20 minutes? That's what I feel like they did. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've, I've done that before. Like I've used this analogy uh, when I do like the high school football polls in our state. There's some weeks where I have a lot of time and I really know about these teams and I can make an informed decision. And then there's some weeks where it's a quarter to three on a Monday yeah. and the Oregonian wants their deadline and I got to prep for my radio show and I'm just like, okay, who won this week? Who lost? Slap something together. No, I get it. I get it. I, I mean, I do the same thing, same thing sometimes, you know, when I'm doing some of my work and, and I get it. I, they're not going to watch every game. They can't watch every game. They can, I, I understand that. I, I mean, I'm not sitting here saying, how dare they? They're looking at box scores, okay? Each of those ADs or whoever, they're looking at their school. They might watch one other game mm -hmm. that probably is on the schedule of their school. And outside of that, like, oh, okay, yep, here we go. And, right. And that's about it. Right. You know, so, and I get it. It just seemed like, it seemed like a common fan or somebody who's really into college football watches way more. I mean, on a Saturday. You know, if you're not going to the duck game. And if you sit at home, you're like, okay, I can, watch, oh, yeah. I can watch three games. Well, you talk about it every weekend. You've got your man cave. Yeah. And you've got your five games. And yeah. you always pick your five games, like, spread out over the weekend. Yeah. Because in the hypothetical, that's how you're going to watch college football. Yeah. I mean, you could bounce back and forth between a couple games. You know, I know some people, you know, you could go to a bar. and I find when I go to bar, well, I find when I go to bars, obviously, I know what happens there. But <laughs> when I'm trying to watch all the, you know, when, when you go to Buffalo Wow Wings or whatever, and there's, you know, 27 TVs in all there. All the screens. Yeah, it's like, at some point, it's overload. It's like, okay, I cannot watch five games at a time effectively. Mm -hmm. I can watch two fairly effectively. But when you're trying to bounce around, you just don't get a good feel for any at one of them. Yeah. So, anyways, that's that. Oregon uh, won. Oregon won. We saw that. Yeah. Number six in the rankings, I hope they move up, but like you wrote about this week, they'll need some help. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we can get into that, um, you know, following. We're going to have Hithla Day on here in just a second, mm -hmm. and uh, that'll be our one guest this week. But I'm really excited because I think he had some really good stuff about the Arizona win, kind of pinpointing what Oregon did there. And I, I know he's got some really good stuff on ASU, what, what Oregon and Oregon fans are going to see this week um, from ASU. So we'll bring him on for about 15, 20 minutes. And then we can get into some more playoff talk. Um, you know, we'll go over. I wrote an article today just before I got here kind of about what needs to happen or what Oregon fans need to be looking at. And, uh, you know, I think that's a good talking point for us after Hitler Day. Sweet. He's an expert. I, I always say every week, follow him on Twitter at Hithliday1. That's with an H and a Y. It's it's uh what, like a Greek prefix there? I think so. Yeah. I it seems like his growing his following is growing. I mean, right. it's, you know, I, I, I try and retweet his stuff as much as possible. People are figuring out yeah, his stuff. At 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 the beginning I think he was just getting a little bit of traction. Now I see some of his stuff gets, you know, a fair amount of retweets and likes and stuff. And I mean that's that's how you do it. You make the snowball, and it's small to begin with, and it gets bigger. So yeah. um, good for him. He deserves it and does great work. So. And, and he's going to share some of his insights with us right now. Scoop, Duck, and Hi-Fi bringing on Hithliday. He's Hithliday. Follow him on Twitter, at Hithliday1. Read his work at Addicted to Quack. And if I'm not mistaken, he's become pretty prominent on Scoop, Duck now. Hithliday, our guest right now on Scoop, Duck, and Hi-Fi. Hith... Uh, let's start looking back at the Oregon win over Arizona. I said on my radio show last night, 
I didn't think the Ducks needed to win sexy. They didn't win sexy, but I was still impressed by it. Were you impressed by that win? I mean, they won by 28. I, I don't know how much sexier you want. <laughs> uh, I mean, they covered the spread, made me a little money. And not really, kids. Gambling is wrong and immoral. Um, but, uh, yeah, the... Uh, that was a very fine performance, um, you know, especially when you consider that the Ducks, you know, pretty clearly left a lot of points on the board. You know, it's not like that was their ceiling. Um, and the other thing that's kind of interesting is that uh, un- Oregon's turnover margin going into that game uh, averaged at a little over uh, one and a half per game, you know, positive. In this game, they lost the turnover battle zero to one, um, which is very unusual. It's a it's a swing of, you know, negative 2.5. And, and Oregon had usually at least once a game gotten a short field touchdown, um, you know, kind of for free on, you know, or for f- from the defense as a gift from the defense. And that, that wasn't happening in this, this game. I don't read much into the fact that they weren't getting turnovers. There's such a rare event that, you know, just law of averages, a game like that's going to happen. Um, and, of course, Oregon was getting to the quarterback so fast on defense, you know, he didn't have time to throw picks. Uh, and and so, you know, that that's, you know, probably a part of it, too. I actually looked in the database real quick um, that I have access to, and in the last 20 years, the number of teams that have won by 28 points or more and lost the turnover battle, that's happened in less than 1% of all games. So a, a historic achievement. Wow. Um, yeah, that it's really crazy to hear that. And it's, you know, so one thing you and I kind of, uh, I guess went back, well, it wasn't much back and forth, but I asked you about, um, you know, and you mentioned that, uh, you know, I said, Hey, it seemed like Oregon, uh, defensively in that game was just kind of trying to keep everything in front of them. Um, it sounds like, you know, from, from, from what you mentioned, you know, the, the thought was to get after the quarterback quick and make him get the ball out quick. Um, the one thing I want to hit on though, is that you kind of mentioned, this isn't really maybe like a turnover-based defense. That's not what their plan is. I was just kind of going to pick your brain on that a little bit and maybe get you to expand on on maybe exactly what you meant and what Oregon's kind of doing defensively week in and week out. Um, it's true that Oregon's defense uh, does not uh, play for turnovers. There, There is a small but growing group of defensive coordinators around the country who, who actually believe that turnovers can be generated um, throughout the game, not just sort of in desperation situations where you're raking at the ball, you know. Um, and the jury's sort of still out on whether or not they're right. Um, uh, but I can definitely tell you Andy Avalos's uh, style of defense is not to try to, to force turnovers. It's to play sound fundamental defense, and you do that long enough, you put enough pressure uh, on an offense, and the ball will just sort of wind up in your lap. Um, so they get lots of turnovers. They lead the country in interceptions. But on the other hand, they're one of the worst teams in the country for getting fumbles. Now, a lot of that's probably just luck. You know, fumbles are, are lucky bounces one way or the other. Um but a lot of it is because their preference is to go for the sure tackle, bring the guy down immediately, and they aren't doing that thing you sometimes see where where the defender will try to stand the ball carrier up and, and rake the ball away right. before the refs can, can blow the whistle. They don't do that, and so they don't you know surrender the extra three, four yards while they're doing that. So I would rather, you know, personally, that's my style. I, I would rather have them do that than not. Um, so, you know, yeah, it goes like that. In terms of, you know, keeping the game in front of them, that's definitely Avalos's style for pass-heavy teams. Um, for teams that are more balanced or run-heavy, like Arizona, I'm not sure I would characterize it that way. Uh, they're, 
they're going for pressure um, without really blitzing. Um, and the only difference with Arizona is that their line is so porous due to all the injuries and other problems their offensive line has. They were, you know, they'd rush four, and they're like, "Oh, I'm in the backfield. Well, better go for the quarterback." <laughs> kind of like, I guess, just to put it in common, maybe more of like a pressure contain sort of a situation there for Oregon. Sure. Sure. I mean, the number one thing they were trying to do is keep the quarterback, both of the quarterbacks, both Tate and Gunnell, are uh, pretty dangerous with their legs. And so, you know, they'd rush four, but really they were only rushing three with a fourth man whose job it was to sort of keep an eye, you know, keep the quarterback from squirting out the other direction. And I put a couple of um, uh, film clips in my article on Tuesday about that. Lamar Winston is is in my opinion, the great unsung hero of the Ducks defense for the last four years is Lamar Winston. I think he's my favorite Duck. And any time I see him, you know, doing a smart play like that, you know, I'm sure to include it because he's he's sharp as a whistle on that sort of stuff. I I think you make a great point there on Lamar. Um, You know, one of the things that he does really well is, you know, obviously uh, controls his gap, controls his lane, does generate a little bit of pressure. But it seems like... He's almost the linebacker version of Jordan Scott where you're filling the middle and allowing someone else to make the play. So Troy Dye gets the tackle or uh, mm-hmm. you know, ISM gets the tackle or whatever. But really, if you're looking you know, to the right of them, it's, it's usually because Lamar Winston did his job, I guess. Is that kind of what you're seeing as well? Or maybe what you're yeah, doing? definitely. It's a big reason why, you know, for a film student like me, like he, he – he pops off of the film as doing, you know, the million little things. That's a that's a popular <laughs> phrase around Oregon, right? Right. He he does all that stuff to make other guys look good, and I love players like that. Talking with Hidladay, follow him on Twitter at Hidladay One, and check out his work. A great film breakdown this week over on Addicted to Quack. His, you mention this idea that Andy Avalos has a, a very concrete philosophy on defense, but he's willing to tweak it week to week to really thrive in the game plan. Uh, what, what sort of changes do you expect Saturday against Arizona State? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I expect, simply because uh, Jaden Daniels uh, is a big threat to run, um, that you'll probably see something similar as what we saw last Saturday in terms of, you know, bring the pressure, but also, you know, make sure that there's uh, not an easy escape outlet for him. Um, I also think that uh, Arizona State's interesting in that even though last year, you know, all anybody could talk about was, you know, Benjamin, right, because he was coming back when people want to talk about Nikhil Harry, too, but he, you know, went off to the NFL. Um, And they're really not running him as much or as effectively as they were uh, last year. This year, almost all of the offense runs through uh, Brandon Ayuk, number two, uh, their wide receiver. He has um, more receiving yards than their next three wide receivers combined. Which is a little weird because uh, they're you know two of those guys Williams and Darby are really good receivers. I, frankly, I, I don't think much of Rob Likens their offensive coordinator. I think he might be the worst offensive coordinator in the Pac-12, yeah. barring Bush Hamden. Um, <laughs> and and that's something that Oregon has actually done really. If you are an offense that is really dependent on one wide receiver. Oregon tends to shut you down, right? They shut down Seth Williams at Auburn. They shut down Colby Parkinson at Stanford. They shut down Tony Brown at Colorado. They shut down Michael Pittman at USC, right? Uh, 
if that's if you're dependent on that, Oregon's going to beat the the pants off of you because they know how to lock down one receiver. If you want to beat Oregon, uh, uh, you've got to be able to distribute the ball to multiple receivers, and you've got to have a running back who's impossible to bring down. So Washington and Washington State, right? Um, Arizona State, I have a much harder time seeing them do that. Uh, so I think you're going to see a strategy that's similar to those, you know, types where they they lock down Ayuk, uh, they keep the game in front of them, they might give up some yards to Eno Benjamin, but not explosive runs, and just put them in the pressure cooker. Well, you know, Oregon's defense definitely has a, a lot of experience, uh, you know, facing a single receiver offense because that's what they've defended in practice the last two years. So. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> no, all jokes aside, um, I'm going to circle back a little bit with you on Arizona. Uh, Oregon put up 34 points. It seemed like a pretty vanilla, pretty, pretty plain called game. There was a couple tricks in there. It was great. You know, it seemed like a lot of vanilla with just a couple sprinkles on top. Is that... Is that some of what you saw? Was there a little different element to the game other than the flea flicker and a little bit there? Um, you know, what was kind of your takeaway? I mean, they still put up 34 points and, and really kind of shut it down in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, what did you see, Hith, on, on review? Oh, yeah, you're totally right. There's, uh, in terms of the play calling, we didn't see anything that we hadn't seen before outside of that flea flicker. Um, I'm not sure if that's deliberate or not, you know, if, if Oregon fans are out there crossing their fingers thinking like, ooh, they're keeping some some secrets ready to go for, for Utah um, in the championship game. I'm not sure if that's true. That doesn't seem, really seem like this team style. You know, I think they probably have a couple of tricks ready to go. But the idea that they're like, oh, we deliberately sandbagged this game in order to make everybody think we're worse offensively than we really are. Like, nah, that's not this team style. Yeah, it, it certainly, and I know fans aren't going to hear it, but it certainly seems like they – you know, or of the of the lethal simplicity sort of offensive style. You know, right? They they definitely they want they would rather do a modest number of things very well than try to beat you by doing a million different things and confuse you, which is ironically Indianapolis's defensive style. Um, but yeah, not not on the offense. Yeah, and I. I mean, I you know, you go back to remember the Titans. You watch movies like you know, hey, we're just you know, we're gonna run three or four plays, and that's it. And that's I think I remember we did a podcast this spring, Hith, and you know, you and I both agreed that Oregon ran a handful of plays last year. You know, in the I think it was something yeah, like twelve the, or you know, I remember that conversation. The number at that time was twenty seven. It's up to thirty three now. So you know, they've diversified a bit, but it's not a huge amount. The big difference um, in terms of Oregon's playbook is not the pages on the playbook are almost. Uh, identical as in 2018. The big difference is that somebody's gone back in and drawn into most of their rushing plays a run-pass option component to it that Justin Herbert can activate um, uh, when the defense is crashing the run. And for about half of Oregon's games this year, that's exactly what defenses did. They really focused on taking away the run. It was basically the first four games, and then against USC, they went back to doing that. Uh, and Justin Herbert, for all his flaws, which you know we've talked about for a long time, sure. uh, one thing that he is very, very, very good at is making his RPO reads. I, I've got written down once in three years of film study on the guy, him uh, screwing up an RPO read. Um, 
and, and I mean, I just finished or a while ago doing film study in Auburn in, in 2018 with Jared Stidham running their RPO offense. So that's the RPO offense par excellence. Justin Herbert blows Jared Stidham out of the water in terms of accurately making RPO reads and throws. Um, and so that's, you know, that, that really adds an extra t- dimension to an Oregon offense without really fundamentally changing the playbook. I thought it was a pretty damn smart move. Right. When I think about that, I think about the trend in the NFL where you have plays that look like other plays. Uh, stretch mm-hmm. runs and bootlegs are always the classic example. And, and even if you're not really changing the play that much, you change it just enough to really burn the defense. Yeah, and the other thing is that Justin Herbert's delivery is so his his throwing motion is so quick. Um, once he's made a decision, he's kind of slow to make a decision. But once he's made the decision, uh, he gets that ball out of his hand, hand so fast that even though it's a run play and the offensive linemen are heading downfield, he makes the throw so fast that Oregon hasn't gotten flagged on uh, illegal, ineligible receiver down downfield. I think more than once. Um, and, and you know, for example, I've, I've been watching Arizona State and Oregon State. Uh, uh, for film review and like both those teams are, are not great on that question. They get flagged for IDP, you know, fairly often because the quarterback, uh, you know, hesitates or, or takes a little while longer to get the ball out of his hand. Those numbers pretty good at that. Got Arizona state this weekend, uh, defense, you know, we talked about the offensive Oregon last week and obviously what we've seen so far this year, not a lot of deviation, not a lot of surprise. So what do you kind of expect ASU to throw at Oregon, trying to limit them, throw them down, uh, just, you know, what are you going to see in Tempe this uh, this Saturday? The thing that's interesting about Arizona State is that unlike just about every other team in the Pac-12, their rush defense statistically is pretty good. Um, most Pac-12 rush defenses are atrocious. Um, the reason for that, once you dig a little deeper, uh, was pretty interesting to me. Um, number one is they're very good at limiting explosive runs. Uh, in five games of film study on them, I only saw them give up nine runs of more than 10 yards or, or longer. Only three of those were for 20 yards or longer. None of them went for more than 30 yards. Uh, just the structure of their defense, they do not want to give up explosive runs. Their safeties, for whatever else their problems, are very good at, you know, once a run gets from the second level, they find it, they destroy it. Um, they also get tackles for loss at a slightly higher rate than average. Um, that also helps bring their their average yards per carry surrendered uh, down to a very low number. However, in the middle, uh, at, at giving up efficiency runs, those five, six, seven yards where they're not super sexy, but they definitely keep you well ahead of the chains, they will do that. They will give those up all day long. Um, and, uh, and so... And the problem is most Pac-12 offensive coordinators apparently are like Oregon Duck fans where they get impatient with runs like that and they give it up and they start passing, um, which is not really a terrible strategy because their pass defense is absolutely atrocious. But I sort of expect that Arizona State's going to try to take away the run. And I think Mario Cristobal is going to say, you know what? I'm happy taking six yards a run. I'm happy getting into second and four yep. and then throwing deep shots against your terrible explosive pass defense. Uh, yeah, I think that's what that game's going to look like. Kind of a, a staple of the Oregon offense, if you will. Where they're, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think if you ask Mario Chris Ball in a, in a press conference, say, hey, if you could get five yards on first down every time, would you take it? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, most coaches would say oh, yes, yeah. but he's going to emphatically say hell yes, I think. Uh, Oh, yeah. I mean, you're right. Every coach in America would do that. Um, You know, every coach, if if the football devil popped out 
and said, okay, here's the bargain that I'll, I'll present to you. Uh, you get five yards. Uh, every first down will just automatically jump to second and five. Um, but on the other hand, I'm, I'm going to need your left arm and half your salary and your immortal <laughs> soul. Uh, the, the devil wouldn't even be done talking by the time the coach was signing that contract in his blood. Like, <laughs> <laughs> they'd love that. I mean, the yeah. ideal Oregon offense would be, you know, five yards on first down, and then second and five, you have the whole playbook in front of you. You can run a screen, you can run a deep shot, you can run another run play, you can do an outside or inside run, you can do whatever you, second and five is like the golden down, man, because you got three more downs, right? You got a short yardage to convert it, like, yeah, they love being in that situation. Yeah, I think the ninth circle hell is just going to be a repeat of that coaches conference every year in San Antonio. (laughs) No, and I think uh, you know, to what you mentioned earlier, Hith, I think where you talk about, you know, being second at five and having the whole playbook, that's what really, you know, makes uh, an effective RPO become just so paramount, you know, I mean, at least to success, you know, because you're able to slow down the defense, get the linebackers to think a little bit, you know, maybe you get a DB to bite um, a little yeah, bit more Yeah, exactly. Aggressive. The defense doesn't know what the hell to do on second and five. Yeah, no, it's that's great. Uh, it sounds like, I guess, just from what we've talked about so far in the last 20 minutes or so, you're fairly confident in Oregon's ability to, to get the dub out of Tempe on Saturday. Uh, yeah, uh, I, you know, as always, the difficulty is figuring out whether or not they'll cover the spread last, uh, last I looked, it was about 14. Is that what you were seeing? Yeah, I've seen it float right around 14, give or take a point or two. Yeah. I, I feel like on paper, Oregon's at least three touchdowns better than ASU, but you know, who knows? They're, they might want to put in the backups. You know, a weird turnover thing might happen. I'd, uh, I'd have a hard time betting on this game. 14 is about, you know, given all the non-football factors that might go into a, this sort of game. You know, 14 sounds right. On the other hand, you know, Oregon might want to hang 100 on them. Yeah. For, you know, style points for the benefit of the committee. I mean, yeah, I, th- I think that becomes a, a critical component moving forward for, for Oregon. I mean, just especially being uh you know the fact that this game might actually get viewed by a few uh yeah exactly we're we're getting fowler and herb street on the call it's the abc primetime game it is definitely you know it's going to be sexier than oregon state yeah you know maybe they they might want to light them up might be interesting might want to light them up uh no hith we appreciate your time i know you've got things to do after this and you know really just a lot of great uh x's and o's talk but you bring it down to an understandable level which is great yeah um lastly uh just so you know when we hang up i i uh emailed you a screenshot you'll want to take a look at and uh that Mm. might answer your question about uh maybe the rpo installation from earlier all right all right but no hit uh anyways guys uh, make sure you guys are following hit Liday on twitter make sure and we appreciate you uh, you know, contributing on Scoop Duck. I know uh, you know you're an addicted to Quack guy, but uh, you do come over and and uh, converse with some of the folks there. We appreciate that, and uh, hopefully we get you on here again within the next week or two. My pleasure. Always fun. Always love having him on. I do too. I think uh, I, I think this. Okay, I don't think I'm, a, I'm an especially smart person, but I think that a lot of the things he he says. I, I already kind of think or believe, but right. hearing him do it kind of reaffirms it. You know what I mean? And he provides reasons why, you know, hey, this is why Oregon's, you know, uh, only rushing four against Arizona or whatever the case might be. Right. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of that there to, uh, you know, good context, if you will. And my favorite part, 
and and obviously we don't have video evidence of this. I'm uh, just sitting here in my corner studio at Stevens Media Group in Medford. But when he talked about the built-in RPO mm-hmm. on a lot of the Ducks money plays this year, you lit up, man. I, I saw you. The wheels are churning, and uh, I, I I thought then I said, now how does somebody who isn't a coach at Oregon, right. not connected to the Oregon staff, somebody like Hifliday, how do they figure that out? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you got to know football, but really, you know, I would suggest, I would guess without, you know, I mean, would have been a great question to ask Hif, but I would, I would guess that after a couple of games, you start seeing a pattern, and then maybe you go back and look like, eh, it's going to probably, re- you know, kind of confirm what you're, what you think you're seeing. Um, I would guess that might be how that happened for him. Um, we can obviously ask him next time, but yeah, I mean, just to kind of hear, and that's the thing, your, your offense doesn't need to be, I, I mean, I know when Chip Kelly was here, it's great to have that offense and do all these things and the big runs and the big plays, right? you know, but, but Oregon's got an effective offense. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, I guess at the end of the day, is it super sexy? Maybe not, right. but it matches up really well with the style of defense Oregon is playing. It matches up really well with what Mario Cristobal wants the identity to be. And at the end of the day, you really got to hang your hat on that. I mean, you if your team doesn't have an identity, you're lost. Right. So Mario Cristobal said, "Hey, this is going to be our identity. We're going to really power the ball, we're going to play tough, and you know, we're going to we're going to try to hold on the football when we can." They stick to that. Mm-hmm. You could go into practice and say, "Here's what we're going to do. Either get on board or I'll find somebody else that will." Yeah. Um and so it's just I think it's great because I think there were moments maybe in the Helfrich era or even maybe a bit in the Taggart single year, Oregon didn't have an identity. I think that's the problem. I, I think you see that with a lot of teams that you think should be good and aren't good. And that's a major missing component a lot of times. And you made that joke earlier about the Ducks knowing how to beat one receiver <laughs> offenses because they practice against one every day. Yeah. Um, I, I think about it like a restaurant, right? Cheesecake Factory has that huge menu. Well, they have to have a lot of food. Right. If you're going to offer a thousand different things, you've got to have a lot of food ready. Whereas your local burger joint, right? they don't need to have a lot of food. It's, it's burgers just, and fries. Right. It's just <laughs> burgers and fries and buns and cheese, and that's yeah. it, really. Right. And, uh, and I, I feel like the ducks are the burger joint of they're not going to have the, the, all the wide receivers, the healthy wide receivers that you need to, to run a high-octane, air-raid, spread offense. But they've got a quarterback that's really good on play action, mm-hmm. really good on RPO, and a stable of backs, an offensive line that loves to get to the second level and hit people, and they know what they are. Yeah, They got all those guys together to run the ball. They're going to run the ball. Yeah. And to your analogy, it looks like Chip Kelly's eaten at the Cheesecake Factory a few times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I mean, no, it's a good analogy. Like you said, it, you know, I, I immediately think I remember the Titans and you hear them, you know, lethal simplicity. We're going to, you know, like Novocaine, three plays. Right. That run them great. And that's right. it, you know. And, and Oregon hasn't done much by expanding the playbook this year. So Hith says, you know, I'm up to 33 now. Last year it was 27. So it's not like they've, oh, we've opened up the playbook in year two. They probably haven't opened the playbook, but I'm sure there's a lot more tweaks and variations within those original 27 plays more right. than let's go put in 20 more plays. Right. You you, you might have a code on on one play that looks exactly the same, 
except Herbie can give the code word out pre-snap, yeah. and it's an RPO. Yeah, that, that pre-snap read stuff. And, and like you said, you, you go and you just simply add the element of RPO into there, and it changes it changes everything. It changes, you know, it changes what Herbert can do. Now it'll just be interesting to see what happens next year when Herbert's gone. You know, if assuming it's Tyler Shuck, you know, I can't imagine you would open the playbook up anymore in his first year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it'll kind of be interesting to see what happens then because you you know, as as much as inconsistent as Herbert can be, and he can be, he could still make some obviously wow plays, and he does, and he does make some plays where you're like, really, you know, but. So you just kind of wonder where Tyler Shuck falls into that. Will he mm-hmm. be more consistent? Will he will he still have that? You know, we always talk about having, uh, you know, the the floor and the ceiling. What's the floor and the ceiling on somebody? Well, you know that Herbert can kind of have a low floor at times, but an incredibly high ceiling. You just wonder where Tyler Shuck will fall on that. My question there, and and we both think Shuck is going to be the guy next year. At this point, we have to. Right. I, I mean, you know, they can. The Oregon could sign another quarterback in this class. Jay Butterfield could come in and light it up. Cale Millen can go back from injury and just be like, I don't know, all world or something. But they, he's the expected guy. I mean, if we're, if we're taking bets, or if I was in Vegas right now betting on who Oregon's starting quarterback is next year, I would put all of it on Tyler Shuck. Right. And and what I wanted to get to was what you talked about. All of the other possibilities of. A, we don't know if Shuck is going to have the same reins and the freedom that Herbert has had this year. But B, we don't know if maybe Mario brings in, uh, I, I hate to say it, one of his guys. A transfer. Or or just one of the younger guys that, as a head coach, maybe he had more of an impact in signing. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I will, you know... Mario's uh, definitely a loyal uh, coach. Chris Ball is definitely a loyal guy, and uh, you know I know that goes a long ways with him. So um, yeah, obviously we've kind of gone uh, way ahead. Still got yeah. Sorry, I can't. No, help no, it. I I do, I do. And you know we it's it's interesting topics to get into, and you start thinking about man all the possibilities, and that's that's why you follow college football. That's why you follow the Oregon Ducks is because you know recruiting such an unknown, and and you know who's going to get injured next week, and how does that impact the team, and. Is Oregon going to make the playoff? Well, we don't know. I mean, Alabama could lose. They could win out. I mean, it's just it's what makes it fun. Right. It's not real life. Or yeah. it's not daily life, I should say. You know, it's not our jobs. It's yeah. just fun. Well, it's my job, but it's not everybody else's job. And, and, and you talk about Alabama. Can we just spend a minute on the I'm, injury for that young man? Yeah. How brutal that was. It sucks. I mean, it sucks to see it. You know, obviously somebody that Oregon fans have always watched and always had some sort of a, I don't want to call it relationship, but they've definitely had some sort of an interest, uh, you know, in Tua. And he could have been a duck. Yeah, could have been a duck. You know, uh, you, I, I think on one hand, you like to see the success he's having down there for him and his family. You hate to see it because he's not having it at Oregon. Um, it's not totally lost because you have Justin Herbert, so it's not a, a totally lost deal. But, um, yeah, that injury is a bummer, and you just kind of wonder, you know, I mean, that's one of those injuries where you're talking to a, a, a football player that, you know, retires at age 30, and you're like, why did you retire? I mean, it's like, shit, my body's beat up, man. Right. You know, I'm tired of right. not being able to walk, you know, Monday through Saturday and get drugged up and go play on Sunday. You know what I mean? At some point, there's just a line where you're like, I'm done. Enough's enough. And so that type of injury potentially can be one of those that really comes back to haunt him long term. Yeah. Unfortunately. As a Raider fan, I grew up hearing stories because my dad used to be an L.A. Raider season ticket holder. 
stories about how Bo Jackson was the greatest athlete to have ever lived. Oh, yeah. And, and I've seen video of his hip injury. Yeah. And I, I swear to God, first thing I thought of when I saw Tua's injury was Bo. And I just hope that it doesn't derail him like it derailed Bo. I think Bo's had a lot more impact. I mean, I'm not saying his didn't have impact. It obviously did. I think Bo's had so much more impact, not only because of the type of athlete he was, um, you know, but because of the way he injured, you know, stepping down into that hip socket. But I'm not a doctor and I don't pretend to be. It just that's my naked eye, you know, casual observer. Uh, clearly, this is going to be something that hurts Tua, and we've already heard that it's, you know, kind of, um, you know, kind of putting his first round status in peril if that's what he's going to do. I mean, right. you start to wonder if he gets pushed down the draft board enough, does he come back for another year? I would. Right. I'm just saying, I, I'm not saying I know anything. I'm just saying, you know, if, okay, you get pushed out of the first round, okay, what about, you know, you get pushed way down the second round, and you now you're talking about, you know, maybe you're a second, third, fourth round guy. I don't know. I mean, I think talent-wise, everybody thinks he's a first-round talent. But now you've got that injury that that clearly Bo Jackson couldn't recover from. Um, whether it's the same or different or, or, or any of that, it's definitely going to impact him. But I guess that ultimately walks us into our next, next topic. You want to go into five games? No, playoffs, man. Oh, okay. Playoffs. I got you. Yeah, playoffs. All right. Yeah, Keep Jim, up. Okay there, Jim Mora. Yeah, you, you need to pick me up. You need a rock star over there. Uh, it's just one of those days, yeah. man. Radio is a grind. You you know. Hey, you work in writing. You know. This time of the year. It's all a grind. We we know what we have to do, but at least for me, there isn't that thing that you just jump out of bed that you want to do and, and, and write and go cover and talk about. Like Tuesday night was that night with right. uh, with the playoff rankings. I knew exactly I want to talk playoff. Today I just I don't know. The fire is not lit yet. It's just not in your belly. No. Um yeah, LSU one, Ohio State two. I don't have a problem with that. No, Clemson three. I I I start to get a little eh, but I'm still okay with it because defending champs. You blew out Bama on national TV, and you haven't lost since. Georgia four is where I really start to worry about the rubric of these rankings, and that's you know so. Obviously, you and I are recording this on a Wednesday midday afternoon or whatever, and I wrote earlier this morning on Scoop Duck, you know, basically, hey, here's the keys, the five keys path to the playoff for Oregon, and I'll just kind of summarize my thoughts from that article. Uh, number one for me was uh, Utah keeps winning, and then you beat Utah. I think that's first and foremost oh, you, for Oregon. You have to. You got to take care of your own business. Yeah. Uh, you got you got an, a potential opponent uh, in inside the top ten. Uh, Utah's next two games are, uh, what was it? It was, it was Arizona, right? Yeah. I think they, yeah, they go to Arizona this weekend. Then they host Colorado to close out two, two winnable games for Utah. Right. Keep winning, stay in the top 10, stay at, what are they at? Seven, eight, whatever they're at. They're right behind Oregon. Right behind Oregon. Yeah. Seven. Keep them there. Next was, uh, you know, come on Auburn. And that's on the heels of what you and I were talking about with Tua. You know, it's like, okay, well. You know, this week Alabama plays Western Carolina, which they could beat with you or me at quarterback. So that's not really. It, we're not going to get a feel for where this offense is at mm-hmm. minus Tua this week. I mean, they should win by forty. I guess if they win ten to seven, I mean, I, I don't know how, but if somehow they win ten to seven or something ugly, I guess that helps Oregon. But I'm not going to count on that happening. No, two weeks you got the Iron Bowl. You're huge Auburn fans, and now the caveat there is, I mean. 
Auburn's a uh, Auburn's talking about making a coaching change, and I mean, so how does that play into it? You know, does that become a motivator for them to win the Iron Bowl and send you know Melzon out on a good note, or try to keep him around, or is it too much of a distraction and possibly neutralize Auburn versus Alabama? Who I expect Alabama won't be the same team offensively, mm-hmm. at least. No, in that one. No, I, and I think we talked about offenses like Oregon that have suffered injuries, and their response has been to simplify and just do what they do best and make you stop it. I, I'm concerned that Saban is going to do the same thing with this Bama offense. Oh, They've yeah. gotten so fun and creative, and they spread it out and attack through the air. They still have a dominant offensive line yeah they could they could they could run the ball for five or six yards on first down with you right. and me back there right well and they happen to have one of the best backs in the country right i mean Najee harris when when draft season starts scouts are going to be drooling over this guy yeah oh yeah no he's he's a dude for sure um you know next for number number three my number three point after those two was you know bama slips up you know that's the elephant in the room right now we don't know how they're going to be offensively Obviously, Auburn in the Iron Bowl. I think uh, I think at any point you're just looking for I, – I think the committee decided this week, hey, we can't penalize them yet. You know, they still won against right. Mississippi State. Yes, they're without Tua. We can't go and penalize them until we see – so if they show something in the next two weeks that, that really validates, hey, yeah, these guys are not the same team without Tua, you know, that's the shot that Oregon has. Coincidentally, I believe – that Alabama is not currently Oregon's biggest problem here, though. I think it's Georgia. Alabama is not going to be able – I mean, unless LSU falters for for whatever reason, Alabama is not going to be able to play in the SEC championship game, period. They've already got that going against them. That They cannot – there can't be two representative, representatives from the West in the game. So uh, right now you got Georgia. Georgia's number four. Mm-hmm. I think at some point Alabama, whether their offense isn't as good, they lose to Auburn, or uh, them not being able to play in the conference championship game, I think one of those three things or more will push them behind Oregon in the end. It's just a matter of time there. Yeah, yeah. I, I still think there's a chance for the nightmare scenario, which is – Georgia beats LSU in the SEC title game. That's the nightmare. And you've got two SEC teams because yeah. you can't justify dropping LSU out of the top four at that point. Right. If that doesn't happen and Auburn beats Bama, you got to feel confident Oregon will be the number four. I don't even think Auburn has to beat Bama at that point. I think the fact that Alabama can't get into the conference championship game and if they show a little bit of weakness offensively, I think that'll be enough either way. I think, like you said, that's the ultimate oh shit moment for Oregon fans right. is if LSU happens to lose to Georgia in the conference championship game, that becomes a scenario for the committee that's an absolute. That becomes a, a scenario for the committee that's a nightmare and for Oregon. I think that'll put Oregon at five and keep them there. Right. So I think the number, f- my number four point was someone please beat Georgia. They have <laughs> they have Texas A and M. They have Texas A and M this weekend. Texas A and M is a top twenty five team. Right. That's not a, that's not an easy game. Yeah, that's not the gimme that you know Alabama's facing in Western Carolina or Auburn's facing in Samford this weekend. Those are the gimmies. So you know Georgia has a legit game this weekend against A and M, and then obviously in two weeks you're more than likely playing against LSU in the conference championship game. You need Georgia to lose one of those. That gives Georgia a second loss, and I don't care if it's LSU and I don't care if it's A and M. Either one of them. 
you just go and look at records and they have a second loss and one of them includes South Carolina, if Oregon wins out, they're going to advance. Right. In my opinion from right now. I mean, I can't imagine in any scenario you put a two-loss Georgia that isn't a conference champion into the playoff ahead of Oregon when they're a one-loss team and a conference champion. Strongly agree. Yeah. I I think that was the single biggest takeaway this week from the committee, and I talked about it on my show last night. I think there's two ways that people look at rankings generally. You're either picking who are the best four teams – that's how I like to think about yeah. it. Who are the four most likely national champions, regardless of record? Or you'll see, like what you were saying earlier, guys are looking at box scores and yeah. they're looking at standings. Right. And if you're just looking at box scores and standings, I don't think there's any way you take a two-loss team, no matter who they are, no matter where they're from, over a one-loss team. Yeah. I mean, I think if you're the committee and you go up and, and you write on the board, hey, we're a committee and this is our philosophy. This is how we want to week in and week out. Uh, create our rankings you know number one you're going to have to put schedule i think you, you got to put schedule up there as number one that's a, you know so immediately you're instantly looking at that right there mm-hmm. okay and then number two i think they they put in for, at the end of the year you know conference champion i know that's a big one to the committee so you know that's probably number two or number three right up right up there you know and then after that it starts getting you know strength of schedule uh you know how teams are looking at that point uh, you know i think that's where you get into that but you've got those first two up there that are are kind of hard-nosed facts that you can't really work around. You're either a conference champion or you're not. You either have one loss. You either have two. You know what I mean? I mean, I think those are finite items the committee goes with. You know, after that, it becomes some pretty subjective stuff to say, okay, this two-loss Georgia team that isn't conference champion, you know, has the first two strikes against them is better than a one-loss Oregon that's a conference champion. Right. That sends a really, really tough, wrong message, in my opinion. I, I, just, I don't think they can afford it. I mean, I'm not saying they'll go by that, but it's, I mean, it's just, it's absolutely adverse to everything they've promoted every week. So again, LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia, and then the Ducks right now on the outside looking in, Bama 5, Oregon 6. Yeah, I don't think Clemson matters, and I don't think Ohio State matters. Ohio, I mean, right. unless Ohio State, unless you get a gift from Penn State this weekend. Which I don't think they'll get. No, I don't think they'll get. Ohio State looks like the best team in the country, so... I mean, it, that's why they play the game and they can always slip up. But I just think you dis- – if, if, if I'm looking at this realistically, you discount looking at Clemson or Ohio State for help. Right. You just assume those two are in, and right now you're hoping that the SEC cannibalizes each other, except for Georgia beating LSU. That's the wrong cannibalization for you. <laughs> that's bad. <laughs> just a little bit of yeah. chaos, but then, not 07 amount of chaos. No, but my number five point was style matters. If you're Oregon trying to get the playoff, style matters. You you got to you got to – you know, again, you'll get a little bit more eyeballs this weekend with the ASU game 430. Mm-hmm. You're going to need to win a good game um, there. And, I mean, it seems freaking stupid to say this, but Oregon State, man. Yeah. I mean, in August, yeah, yeah, we wrote in a W in August. No question. Everybody did. Mm-hmm. That's an automatic W. Even Beaver, like I interviewed Beaver writers. I asked them, best case scenario, what's the season going to be? Two wins, three wins. Yeah. They, like seriously, like they were like, if we win one Pac-12 game, it's a good year. Yeah, at this point, they don't give a shit about any other win except beating Oregon. Right. It's the old. I mean, if you're Jonathan Smith, you're like, screw this week, guys. We're going to game plan for Oregon for two right. weeks. I mean, seriously, why wouldn't you? It's the ultimate cherry on top of your season. It really is. So, I mean, I'm sure you get a good effort. And again, I'm not. I'm not sitting here telling you Oregon State's going to win. I'm not sitting here telling you Arizona State's going to win. But you're going to get 
Arizona State's best shot. You got Herm Edwards, who's a great motivator, great coach. You know, he'll have his guys playing some disciplined football. So I think I think it'll be a closer first half in Tempe than most expect. And hopefully, you know, 4.30 kicks, so about 6 o'clock. Hopefully everybody doesn't turn off the TV at halftime and think, oh, man, it's, you know, 14.10 or 14.7 or something. You know, Oregon's mm-hmm. – Oregon. and then Oregon comes out in the second half and demolishes Scores them. 40 and yeah, they didn't see it. but nobody sees it, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I know they'll look at the box score, but, again – when you got all eyes on you, it, it would definitely be it would definitely help your cause to kind of show up and show out. Yeah, so got to get it done these next two weeks. And, they, and then you got and then and then I got to go all the way back to number one. Keep winning Utah, and then you got to beat Utah. That's gonna right. be tough, man. Utah's looking freaking good. Yeah, that's I I I make fun of the Pac-12 for playing that championship game on a Friday night. Yeah, but. I'm gonna be in Reno that night. I'm gonna be sitting in a sports book watching that game. I can't wait. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Primetime college football, man. You can't beat that. No, that'll be fun. And uh, yeah, they need to get that damn game in Vegas or something. I don't know, somewhere right. other than San Francisco. That right. makes no sense. Well, I aren't they gonna move it to the new Raiders Stadium? I don't. I don't know. Okay. I, I, I honestly don't follow that kind of stuff. But that's the kind it, of thing I should yeah. know. I I think they will. I think they're gonna move football to the Raiders Stadium if they. If they if they don't, I just blame Larry Scott. Right. I mean, why not? Yeah. Well, everybody loves the basketball tournament in Vegas. Why wouldn't you? It's the yeah. perfect. Like, I have a buddy of mine. Uh, you you've talked to him on Twitter before. Will Rubin. Yeah. He used to write uh, a Duck Territory and a couple other places. I worked with Will. Yeah. Will, yeah. 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 You guys you guys go way back. Um, Will used to work here. He was a reporter in Grants Pass. Yep. And every year he's got some buddies from when he went to Oregon. They go to Vegas for the basketball tournament, yeah. and he swears up and down like the game times are staggered. Yeah, you bet on everything. Right, you eat at the buffets. Yeah, the hotels are cheap because yep. it's Vegas. It's amazing. Yeah, I've 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 had a handful of people that go from all ages, like all I mean, people with kids, people without kids, you know, people that are older than me, younger than me. They all go and they say it's an absolute blast. You know, Oregon win, lose, or draw. That's not really what they're there for. I mean, like, yeah, but not exactly. I mean, they go, they watch ball, you know, and they get tired of watching ball. They right. Go, they go, you know, watch another show or hey, whatever. George Lopez is playing down the street. Well, you know, go and, see a comedian or, or go see a musician. And that makes it, a, like, it's a, it becomes affordable at that point. You know what I mean? I, like, I like San Francisco. I think it's a beautiful city. I love visiting. I enjoy it down there. The food is outstanding. They have some great beer down there. I'm a big San Francisco fan, but... You know, you're getting in your car and you're driving over here and you're driving over here and it's expensive and you got to park and right. I mean it's like stuck in traffic. Yeah, Vegas, it's like, well, we checked our car into the garage and we'll see it in four days. Right. If you even have have one, even if you rent one. Yeah. I mean, you just start walking around everywhere. It's like, hey, let's go over here, and it's you know three blocks down the strip. It's a different experience. And you're drinking while you're walking there. Oh yeah. <laughs> see, it's my my dad on my 21st birthday. We went to Reno. And and that was my first time being in a city like that, where you mean a shithole. You well no, <laughs> yeah yes, but no. <laughs> Reno's awesome. Where, I, I like Reno, but where you can have a drink in your hand, yeah. out on the sidewalk, right. The cops will walk right by you. Yeah, the cops will walk right by the. Uh, I'll just say the, uh, the 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 people out on the corner. Yeah, and uh, just no cares in the world. Yeah, remember they just that, want your money. They just want your money. Yeah, they just want you to gamble. And not be an idiot, yeah. you know. You could be an idiot, but not too much. Yeah, yeah. As long as you don't hurt anybody. Yeah, don't don't hurt anybody and try and keep your organs in your body. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, you know, I joke about you know Reno being a a, a shithole. It's it's 
I mean, it's not a, it's not a great city, but it's it's fun. It can be fun. Yeah. Well, it's probably better than the Valley sometimes. Oh, yeah. yeah it's Vegas light. I, I know on Twitter yesterday you were you were joking about some of the tweakers down here. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, yeah. We could walk down the road and we could bring four in within 10 minutes. I guarantee it. No doubt. Yeah. I mean, we could just stand right <laughs> out front of the studio here and get four in here in 10 minutes. <laughs> it's bad uh, down here. That's why we call it Methford. Yeah. 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 Anyways. That's a subject for another day. Totally different. Yeah. Uh, you want to get into five games? Sounds like five games time. All right, man. All right, five games. We do this every week, aside from Oregon, Arizona State. Because you're a Duck fan, you're going to watch that game. Here's five more games that we think are relevant this week. Yeah. No. You, want, you want to go first? Uh, yeah, so let's just get this precursor out of the way. Penn State, Ohio State, we know everybody's going to watch that game. That's the right. game of the week. Right. Um, you know, so we'll just mention that. Uh, that game is 9 o'clock on Fox. I just looked, and Ohio State's an 18-point favorite in that one. That's fair. Yeah, I it seems like a lot, but then again, it kind of doesn't. I don't know, but that seems like a lot for a matchup of that caliber, two two top ten teams. You know, I just don't think it's there's. Crazy. I, I think in the Big Ten, you've kind of got a similar situation in the Pac-12 this year. Yep, um, where you've got a bunch of teams that are good, and by good, I mean they can get seven or eight wins. Right, but I think there's only one great team. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. I agree. It's uh like almost like ACC light, ish. Sure. But you know they get a they get the benefit because they've got Harbaugh and everybody thinks they're going to be great every year. Mm. Oh, this is their year. They got the offense coordinator. Yeah. Now they're ready to roll, and, and then they end up you know being again another six, seven, eight, eight win team. Right. Um. You know you got Michigan State. You kind of wonder, man. They've been like kind of mediocre for a while now. Um. Yeah, that that Rose Bowl win, uh, Rose Bowl win really has carried them. <laughs> it really has. People just think they're the greatest team that ever was. Yeah, because they won one bowl game. And then you you have Penn State, which honestly, Penn State and Notre Dame are the same team to me. Like high expectations every year. Mm-hmm. They go in and beat the teams they're supposed to win. Ironically, we're in Notre Dame sweatshirt. They go in and they win. You know the games they should win. They struggle against some of the ones, eke out ones that they probably should. You know, what I mean, it's just mm-hmm. like. Are they good? Yeah, they're good. Are they great? Eh. Right. You know. Right. Um, but anyways, so five games. We got Penn State, Ohio State. I'll, I'll give one or two, and I'll let you rip. Um, <clears throat> I mentioned this earlier, but you got to be watching Georgia versus A&M. Mm-hmm. If you're an Oregon fan, you absolutely got to watch that game. You know, if you're if you're down in Tempe or you're at home, that's got to be on your channel. It's 1230 uh, on CBS. I see Georgia is a 13.5-point favorite in that one. So surprisingly – uh, A&M is, or Georgia's less favored over A&M than Ohio State over Penn State. That just seems weird, but I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, I'll give one more. Uh, the battle for L.A., UCLA, USC. I had this one too. Uh, this so, is, so far, three for three. Yeah, no, I figured. This one, uh, this one, 1230 uh, on ABC, USC's favored by 14. If, I don't know, if Chip can make this competitive, if he can happen to win it, I don't, any number of those things... That probably spells pretty big trouble for Clay Helton. I mean, I'm not sure there's anything he can do to save his job now, but I think if you lose to UCLA, you're getting a bus ticket home. I'm not anywhere near the recruiting guru that you are, but I've always said I think 
one of these okay. LA teams could just make a killing in recruiting right. if they just focused on got to beat the other guy and make your pitch. We own LA. Yeah. No. And, and I, I feel like they can do that if they beat USC. I mean, a lot of kids want, at the end of the day, recruits, no matter whether they're from Los Angeles or they're from Florida or Texas, they tend to want to stay closer to home. They would like to win closer to home. It's just they grow up going to the Coliseum, watching right. the Trojans play. And, you know, you, you have kids that barely remember Reggie Bush now, you know, thinking, oh, man, I'd like to be the rest, next Reggie Bush or whatever. You can only you can only have that for so long. And then, you know, then it fades and it's been grown out. So for USC, you're in danger of that history that I mean, it's being grown out. I mean, mm-hmm. you haven't been good for a while. Right. So, I mean, you still always have good quarterbacks, but. Anyway, so there's three. I, I have three more, but I'm going to let you go. We'll see if you get all three of them. You probably will. Okay, so 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 far, right on those three, uh, my other two picks that I have are Pac-12 picks. I just thought this was a really relevant week for the Pac-12. Okay. So you mentioned Oregon State earlier and, and all of the things that they have to play for next week. Yeah. One of those things is a bowl game. Yeah. And oh. if they beat Wazoo... They're in. They're in. So man, I'm looking at Oregon State Wazoo this weekend. This I think that's a really winnable game for the Beavers. It is a winnable game. Wazoo's playing pretty bad football right now. Uh, I just, I mean, I think as good as Mario Cristobal has done with Oregon this year, does that make Jonathan Smith Pac-12 Coach of the Year? No. And here's why. This, this, I love that you ask that. He did a press conference this week, mm-hmm. and they asked him that question: Are you the favorite for Coach of the Year? And he grinned, and he said if he had a vote, he'd pick Mario. Interesting. I think it's reverse psychology. <laughs> <laughs> no, he deserves to be in the talk, though. That's that's. I mean, again, regardless of the next two weeks, he's done a hell of a job. They're a better football team than they were at the start of the year. Totally agree. Than when he showed up. So. They're, they're a better football team than they were two months ago. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's what you measure a coach on. I mean, obviously, wins and losses matter. Um, I mean, but he's got him going the right direction. All right, give me the other one. I didn't have that one. Okay, so Utah, Arizona. Just because, like you mm-hmm. said, if you have an eye on the playoff, yeah. this fulfills the most important thing that has to happen. The Ducks and Utah have to win out. And and I had that one. I was looking at it, and I almost wrote it, and I didn't. I just like, you know, Utah's going to freaking destroy them. Oh, no. Yeah. I, I'm not saying these games are going to be the most no, compelling. You're, you're, that's one that I agree you're looking at the box score on that one. Like, right. uh, you know, maybe halftime, like, what's the score? Oh, okay, it's 37-0. to zero. All right, cool. <laughs> yeah. You know, and you can take that one off the list at right. halftime. No, but yeah, you just want to make sure. Yeah, you want you want them you want Utah to win, guys. You want them to win big. I'm just telling you, everything Utah can do positively to look as good as they do when you face them in the Pac-12 championship game is just. I mean, it helps. It yeah. all helps. Uh, I'm su- I'm kind of surprised you didn't write this one. Texas versus Baylor. Yeah, it's I, not Pac-12. It's, I get it. But, okay, so here's why I wrote it. Here, First off, you know, Baylor was dead in the water two years ago. I mean, they got hit with the death penalty, basically. Right. Baylor's favored by five in this one. It's a 1230 game at, on FS1, so you can still watch it. Uh, UCLA and USC is also at 1230, so it's Georgia and a But, uh, I mean, Texas, let's just, let's just reverse, let's rewind. We go back to August, and I, and I say, hey, Baylor's going to be favored when they face Texas towards the end of the year. Everybody says you're effing nuts because texas was a top 10 team at the time right they've i I, without looking because i don't follow that program mostly they've lost five six seven recruits in the last three four weeks like they're just 
Texas. Yeah, Texas. That's I, amazing. And so we have a similar situation where you're talking about the battle for LA, UCLA, USC. You got Baylor, Texas, Texas A&M, kind of the battle for, for Texas. And there's a ton of talent. It can go to a lot of schools. But I think that's a huge problem for uh, uh, for Texas head coach. I think that's a huge problem for him to lose to Baylor. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. You mentioned if you're a kid in L.A. Yeah. And the Trojans pitch to you is come be the next Reggie Bush. You never saw him. Right. You might not even know who he is. Yeah. Your dad does. Yeah. Right. Right. Your dad does. Your uncles do. Um, it's crazy to think Texas football is the same way. Right. Of they can say, hey, come be the next Vince Young. Who? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and you're like, right. who? Ricky, who? Ricky who had Williams? the greatest game ever? Yeah. Ricky or, Williams. Who was the greatest college running back I ever saw? Yeah. Not even they, an NFL player anymore. They don't know him. Right. And uh, and and then talk about you know the the legacy of Texas football. That's yeah. like a whole different century. Yep. They don't even know about it. It's amazing to see college football change in our lifetimes. Yeah. I mean, you know, you tend to have the rich get richer more times than not. It's yeah. And anyways, I'm I was just about to say this is my fear when you start playing paying players is that those rich will stay rich. But, you know, we're not going to talk about that. Right. They have every well, think about it this way. Even if you give USC and Texas and my fighting Irish that I grew up loving, you give them every advantage in facilities and budget and and all the rest. Can they really make the most of it? Right. No. 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 Right now, USC is losing the battle for LA. Yep. Right now, Texas is an underdog against freaking Baylor. Right. Uh, I, I don't know if I don't know if money's really going to change college football that much. Wasn't I think it's just going to amplify what we already have. I think the. The biggest thing that folks tend to just not pay attention to is, and, and I think, I believe you're starting to see a trend. You're starting to see folks realize it, but a, a good or a bad athletic director can screw your program big time. Tremendously. Yeah. I mean, like a perfect example, and I'm not picking on, but the, the Willie Taggart situation at FSU has set them back eons, you know, because you're already, you know, obviously Jimbo Fisher leaves, you know, he's been a tremendous head coach and, 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 and very successful down there. You know, it was a little bit of slippage there, but, you know, then you bring in Willie Taggart and this huge contract that you had to get boosters to sign up and, and sign up for. And now, you you know, you're trying to compete for the big boy ball down there. you got to go back to those boosters again and ask for enough money to be competitive. You can't freaking miss this hire, you know, and Texas has, you know, had some 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 rough hires here last, you know, a little bit or a rough stretch. Uh, USC, obviously, with their head coaching hires, is, but it just goes to show when you make bad hires and give out bad contracts, it really hurts your program. And that's all sports, but in particular football. Yeah. Much respect to Rob Mullins. I, I'm, I don't He's think good. People, I don't, He's yeah, good at his job. People don't give him enough credit. Right. And there's a reason his name is linked to almost any open AD vacancy at a major program. And you give kudos to Rob Mullins. I think back to last spring – when the knives started to get sharpened mm-hmm. over the perception around duck softball. A lot of people yeah. said they got rid of Mike White, right. they were playing cheap, and they weren't listening to players' complaints and concerns about getting rid of Coach White. And Melissa Lombardi comes in, and there was all this controversy. Right. And now you fast forward a year, and Melissa Lombardi's coming off one of the top recruiting classes in the country. Yep. And Rob Mullins can look back and say, hey, I told you so. Right. I did it right, right, just like I did in football. Got yeah. Mario Cristobal. 
just like I did in basketball, got Kelly Graves. Rob Mullins can can point to a lot of success at Oregon. Yeah, and the hard part is it takes time, and in this instant gratification world, that's a hard thing for people to grasp. You don't go and hire a coach and they're successful right out the gate. No, it just does. It doesn't happen. It happens way less than it actually. You know, you, everybody's going to pinpoint. We'll look at PJ Fleck in Minnesota. Look, it, it does happen, but it happened. You know, you get a lot more Willie Taggarts than you get uh, PJ Flex. And and I would argue to really put that in perspective. Look at what Mario has done year two as the head man. Right. Just year two. Just year two. Yeah. And granted, last year wasn't perfect. It was good enough. It wasn't perfect, but it was, you know, the red box bowl left a bad taste in everybody's mouth, you know, and, and I get it. I understand. But now, look, I mean, here we are. We're not even a year removed from that. And, every you know, you're talking about a playoff caliber team. You're talking about another top-ranked recruiting class. I mean, just, like, it takes time. And just it's an instant gratification world that just doesn't give time anymore. Mm-hmm. So, again, credit to Rob Moldes. I got two more, and I'll get through them quick. UW, sure. I, I put down UW at Colorado. It's 7 o'clock, Why? so it'll be on after. UW's a 14-and-a-half-point favorite because Oregon fans hate UW, and I think UW might end up losing this game. Okay. That's why. And then that puts them at – and then here's the thing. So you've got UCLA versus USC, UW at Colorado. Right now I probably link those two games more than you because of the recruiting side of things. You know, mm. Washington's – all you know, again, everything kind of – That's fair. Yeah, that's, that's fair. That's why I think Colorado can win this game. I think they'll surprise them. I'm not saying they will, but I think they can. Uh, last one. And I put it, Bama at Western Carolina. <sighs> Bama's a fifty-seven oh. point favorite in that one still. Okay, so so the only fifty-seven, the only compelling thing I could think about for that game is just watching Alabama without Tua. Right, that's, that's what it. I did. Yeah, and, I, and again, that's the one where we were talking about earlier. Uh, you know that you mentioned it's a box. It's 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 a box score to look at. You know, it's one to when you pull up your ESPN app, look at halftime, and see oh. Bama's only winning twenty-one to seven over Western Carolina. You know what I mean? It's it's one of those. It's not like sit down and watch all three hours of that game. It's like the Citadel game last yeah. year, where <laughs> I find out the Citadel is winning, and I turn over to that game. I'm just telling you, Bama at Western Carolina, fifty-seven points. I would take the under all day long. Wow, fifty-seven so, points. So you would take Western Carolina? Is what you're saying? I would take the under. Yeah, I, I mean, I would take. Yeah, I would take Western Carolina. I would take that they're gonna. They're not going to make that spread. That's what I'm saying. That's Sorry. amazing. I, for, I forget over under or something it's, else. Hey, it's I'm okay. Like, I'm a bad gambler, so yeah. I can't correct <laughs> yeah, anybody. Uh, that's a, that's a t- you know, Hith was talking about that earlier. Oh, uh, yeah. It's it's not immoral in Oregon. No. It's it's legal now. Yep. If except for college football. That right. still is immoral. Right. So. Yeah. Shame on you, it's, Justin Hopkins. Yeah, it's not immoral. It's just, uh, <laughs> it's just don't I, get I, caught. I, I kid. Right. No, I kid. I'm just kidding. No, I'm uh, That was five games. Yeah. Other than that, we put, I mean... Ducks basketball keeps rolling. Right. They got a Friday night game, right? Yeah, Ducks yes. play on Friday night. Yes. Um, and then the women. The women are rolling too. Yeah. I mean, Everybody's pretty. wearing their Sabrina Ionescu jerseys. Good for them. Um, freaking awesome. Obviously, the one rule with five games is uh, we 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 leave out the biggest game, Oregon Arizona State. Yeah. Do you want to talk hoops for a minute, or do you want to jump into lock and uh, player of the week? You know. Um, I think I mean I love hoops and I want them to get their credit, but at this point it's not the time. I mean, there's I mean just one game. Yeah, I mean they you know they got they got the 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 big. Uh, I mean, when the women beat Team USA, I was all about talking about it. I had no problem. You know that was awesome. Uh-huh. And when the men beat Memphis, give them you know I I so I mean we talked about those two games. 
I mean, you know, UT Arlington. I mean, come on. You know what I mean? Not that but, big of a deal. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, so. See, I, I'm always amazed by this. I Whenever I play, like, the NCAA games, which, of course, they don't exist anymore. Right. Uh, but I still have them. And I always, if I'm Oregon, I schedule uh, Power 5 schools. Right. I want to play Power 5 schools in my non-conference. I don't understand why they don't do that. Yeah. I, I know you're going to pick up a loss or two, but is it compelling for the fans to go see UT Arlington? Well, Or, or yeah. this week they're playing Houston? Right. Is, is that really a compelling non-conference game? Right. No, I, I know. I know. I agree. I mean, I agree with it on all platforms, I, like football, basketball. I mean, just, I mean, some uniformity would be good. And right. you said that earlier. I mean, just, you know, hey, if, if, SEC's getting the schedule Samford in the eighth or ninth week or whatever. In football. Yeah, in football, right. yeah. But basketball, same thing. I, I In basketball, my feeling on it is it, because they play a longer season, just eliminate those games. You know what I mean? You know? Right. Don't, I mean, they don't need to put any more wear and tear on their bodies, mm-hmm. you know? But, yeah. No, let's get into uh, – uh, Let's wrap this sucker up and get into what do we got? We got pick. We got uh, player, lock of the week. Lock of the week and player of the game. Yeah, for ASU, I'm ready. All right. Lock of the week: Oregon, Arizona State. We've been talking gambling a lot this week, and I'm going to keep it there just real quick. I think the Ducks cover. You you guys were saying it was a two touchdown spread. Mm-hmm. I think that's easy for this team. I think the defense keeps ASU under 10 points again and the offense does enough are they going to score 50 are they going to look sexy no right the committee is going to be left wanting but I think we're going to see another complete performance from the Ducks yeah I I, uh, I think that's a good point and I think you're right and I think the fact that this game's on at, at you know 430 and it's on a primetime channel that everybody actually gets uh, I think you know there's no doubt in my mind as uh, detail-oriented as Mario Cristobal is. He's fully aware of all of that. Uh, I, I think the Ducks put on a show, so I'm going to... I guess I'm somewhat piggybacking on yours. My lock of the week is or Oregon will score 40 or more points this week. I think they're going to put up big numbers offensively. Um, you know, I'm not necessarily saying they'll, they'll cover the spread, which I agree with you. I think they will. I'm saying at least offensively they're going to put up 40 or more points this week. I think they're going to... I mean... They're not going to unload the playbook. I just think they're going to kind of go for the jugular a little bit more, and I think they're going to want to show a little bit more flash. Yeah. So I think we're kind of on the same page there. Trick plays every play. Yeah, every other play, right? <laughs> no, you're 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 going for it on every fourth down, and you're going for two on every extra extra point. Yeah, that'd be something. That's what I said. Yeah. Well, I mean, you may as well not kick. It probably would average out to about the same. Yeah. Well, hey, I mean, the way the kicking game <laughs> that, went last that's week, what I'm you might saying, as well yeah. not kick. That's right. what I'm saying. Bust out the old, uh, what's that? For? They used to run it all the time when Chip was there, the Emery and Henry formation. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just sw- swinging gate. Swinging that's what they gate. call it. Yeah, swinging yeah, yeah, just swinging gate yeah. all the time. All the time, yeah. Uh, player of the game, uh, to, go, to coincide, I guess, with what I felt, uh, what I feel will be an offensive explosion this week, uh, I got Jawan Johnson. Yeah, I'm gonna ride the hot hand. Uh, yeah. I think, I think Oregon will set up a lot of success in the run game. Still, um, I know ASU's down one of their starting defensive linemen, so I think that's gonna open up things there. But I, I, I again, I think Jawan. I mean, with with an absolute terrible secondary like ASU has, I think you know Oregon's gonna end up finding those big chunk plays or or you know those big wow plays. Hit Jawan Johnson. 
maybe another three touchdown game, probably going to at least get two this game. I, I think a big game from him again. The guy that I want to focus on, and and I've I've tried to improve on this when I watch football games. When I was a kid, I would just follow the ball. Yep. Now I try to look at the lines. I'm really fascinated by what Shane Lemieux is going to contribute on Saturday. Yeah. And the reason why is I have a lot of respect for this Arizona State staff. Marvin Lewis is a consultant. You're yeah. talking a, a, a legendary defensive coordinator and a former head coach in the NFL. Herm Edwards, same deal. Yeah. Defensive coach, head coach, those guys carry a just a, a wealth of experience defensively. Yeah. I think they're going to show a lot. They're going to try to trick Oregon, and this is a game where you really need your center to help everybody get in the right place at the right time, call out the fronts, and and keep things safe for Justin Herbert. Yeah, I uh, um, I like your Shane Lemieux pick, and and I, as we go back earlier talking to Hitler Day, I believe he's one of the unsung heroes of this offense. Yeah, everybody talks about Panay Sewell, and I get that, but I mean Shane Lemieux is a, I mean he's he's tough. He's you know he's played in all the games this year, and he's a guy that's always out there giving. I mean he's. He's not the pancake artist that Panaceable is, but he's fundamentally sound. And, you know, Oregon likes to run to that left side, understandably so. And, sure, Panaceable is part of that, but so is Shane Lemieux. I think, again, like Lamar Winston, he's a very unsung hero, you know, in this offense. You know, the offensive line is good, but it's really good on the left side. Mm-hmm. And that's because of Panaceable and Shane Lemieux. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I think that's going to be key. Just the interior and the trenches and, and guys calling out the right plays and – that's going to be the difference for me. Well, we're just still going to run. As much as we like to say they're going to open it up and just start chucking the ball around, they're still going to run the damn ball. Right. I mean, that's just, again, that's their identity. They're going to always go to that. Mm-hmm. I just think they'll open up the the the, uh, the vertical a little bit more this week. Yeah. Yeah, play action. Pin those linebackers in. Get and that RPO down, yeah. Chuck it. Yeah. All right, so Ducks win? I would think so. Yeah. I hope so. Yeah. yeah. It makes my, my job a lot more enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, you guys, that's freaking sure. crazy when they lose, or even when they don't win by fifty. Right? Come on, they win. They win. Win by one. Win by a hundred. Doesn't matter. Ducks are gonna win. Ducks are gonna win big, and we'll have the same conversation next week. I can do this now.